Now turn with me this morning in your Bible to um, 1 Peter chapter 2. <coughs> and we're going to read once more the last, sorry, the first ten verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We know we've read it before. It'll be on a number of occasions. It's always good to familiarize ourselves with passages that we've read before. These are tremendous verses. <coughs> so much material here ponder and consider. First Peter chapter two verse one Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. For also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. Even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, it were unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen <coughs> generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, and my subject today is simply entitled The Privileges of the People of God. Now in past weeks I have preached on the subject of the preciousness of Christ from verse 7, unto you therefore which believe he is precious. <coughs> We've also dealt with the disobedient sinner and the doctrine of reprobation. We've set before you the doctrine of election in past week. 
Even last week we dealt with the subject, the priesthood of all believers. Now this morning I want to deal with the subject of how God views us, how God sees us in Christ, and hence the title, The Privileges of the People of God. Now all of us, no doubt, can remember our past life before we were saved, before we were savingly joined to Jesus Christ. Let's remember how that we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, how that we were all sinners by nature and practice, that we were, as Paul says in Romans 6, the servants of sin. Let's just think of one text, we'll isolate it, Ephesians 2 and 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And then we'll add to that the verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, when we think about it, there is such a thing as a past life for every believer. And there's lots in the Bible to remind us of what we once were. For example, listen to Titus. Titus chapter 3 and 3. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. Serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus is saying that's what we once were in our past life. And you see, the Apostle Peter here, amazingly, also makes reference to our past life. If you look at verse 10, he says, which in time past were not a people. He says in verse 10, which had not obtained mercy. That's to do with our past life. Now it is good to remember what we once were. It's humbling. It also helps to knock the sin of pride on the head. And even out of our head, we have nothing to be proud about. This is what we once were. But there's also such a thing as the present life of a believer. Let's not only dwell on what we once were, but let's think of what we are now. We rejoice, of course, that we no longer what we once were. And I would say to you this morning, don't ever wallow, don't ever get bogged down in what you once were. Think of what you are now. Take that into your mind. Ponder, how does God see me? Ask yourself, how does God view me now in Christ? <clears throat> Listen to the words. But ye are, not were, are a chosen generation. But ye are a royal priesthood. But ye are a holy nation. 
but ye are a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past. He's saying, now remember, there was an occasion, a time, when you were not a people. But now, you're the people of God. There was a time when, when you had not obtained mercy. But now, oh, there's a change. There's a wonderful transformation. There's a glorious message. You have obtained mercy. And I was thinking about verse 10. Verse 10 is actually a quotation from the book of Hosea. It's interesting that Peter peppers his letter to this church to whom he's writing to encourage, remember, and he peppers it with little snippets from the Old Testament. And he's quoting really from Hosea chapter 1, and I was tempted this morning to read it as a separate reading, but I didn't for sake of time. Let me paraphrase Hosea chapter 1. Hosea the prophet was told to take a wife of whoredoms. And he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium. And she bare him a number of children. The first child was a boy, and they called him Jezreel. The second child was a girl, and God said, Call her name Lo. Ruhama. That's how you pronounce it. Lo Ruhama. And what does that mean? The word lo means not, and Ruhama means no mercy upon. And when Lo Ruhama was born, God says, I will have no more mercy upon her. She'll be an individual that hasn't obtained mercy. (coughs) The third child, he was another boy, and God said, call his name Lo-Ami. Lo means not, Ami means my people. Now, Now think of this. God was sending out a message by the naming of these children And he was saying to the children of Israel, I will have mercy upon you no longer, and you are not my people. I am not your God. (coughs) Now listen to this. Hosea chapter 2 verse 1. Say unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. See, here's a change. Say to your brethren, Ami, that's my people. Say to your sisters, Ruhama, mercy. You see, this is what Peter is saying to the people in his day. A people who are persecuted. A people who are suffering much for the cause and sake of Jesus Christ. A people who may be on the verge of wanting to quit. Wanting to give up, to go back to paganism or Judaism. And Peter is saying to them, Look, remember who and what you are now. Ye are as newborn babes in the sight of God. 
Ye are as lively stones in his sight. You are now the people of God. You have now obtained mercy. Look at what you are now. Take that into your mind. Ponder it. Think about it. You, my people, yes, you're persecuted. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, you're facing hardship. But do you know what? You are actually the most privileged people on this earth. That's the message that he wanted to get across. Now, there's a couple of things here in these verses that I want to try and get across this morning. But we're thinking about how privileged we are. Remembering what we were in the past, but let's remember what we are in the present. And let's think of how God views us today. Let's take this into our mind. We are an appointed people. Look at the words, but ye are a chosen generation. This is a reference, as we've said in the past, to the doctrine of election. And I preached a whole sermon on it. Literally, you are an elect race of people. You've been chosen out of the masses of humanity. You've been disconnected from the world. You've been savingly joined to Jesus Christ in a life of intimate communion and fellowship. Now we get asked the question, uh, why did God choose us? The answer, he had no reason to. Remember what we were in the past. Sinners by nature and practice. So why did God choose us? The answer lies in his own sovereign purpose and grace. There was nothing in us that caused God to love us or to show compassion on us or be gracious to us or to care for us or to bestow mercy upon us. Remember what we read over there in the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. We, we looked at this, but it'll do good to refresh our mind. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt here's the reason the Lord chose you the Lord chose to love you because of his love and mercy that was there in his own heart remember there was nothing in us we were without strength we were ungodly we were sinners who had broken his law we were enemies objects of his wrath and hostility let's remember this morning that we're all sinful we've all got a past we're all rebels We're all stood condemned. We all deserve (laughs) wrath and judgment. You see, the focus should not be why did God not choose everybody? The focus should be why did God choose anyone at all? And the focus should be why me, Lord? We hear the argument but everybody deserves a chance to be saved. Everybody deserves a shot at heaven. Of course that's not true. Because we're all sinners. And we all deserve wrath. And the Bible says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise 
cast out. God the Father in eternity past gave a people to Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about chosen you from the beginning unto salvation. And this is a comforting truth. Chosen from the beginning to salvation. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Lord. I'm one of God's people. There was a time when I was not. One of the Lord's sheep. One of the Lord's servants. One of the Lord's sons. One of the Lord's soldiers. But now. I am. I'm special to God. Isn't this a remedy for a swelled head and pride? Coming to the place where you say like Paul. I am what I am by the grace of God. When the devil beats down upon you. And he has and he will. And tells you that you're unfit. Tells you that you're full of folly. Tells you that you're full of failure. You just remind yourself. I'm part of an appointed people. I I have been chosen by God in eternity past. I'm God's possession. I'm greatly privileged. Doesn't the Bible talk about making your calling and election sure? Isn't it interesting? People focus on election. Am I elected? When the Bible says make your calling. See calling comes first. The call of God in time. The call in God to repent and believe the gospel. The call of God coming to those that are conscious of sin. Wanting to be saved. Desirous of salvation. Would like to be saved. See the man that wants to be saved. Desires to be saved. Would like to be saved. The glorious message is he can be. What's he got to do? Come to Christ as he is. Didn't the Bible say, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Let's remember, we are an appointed people. Notice also, very quickly, we are an assigned people. A royal priesthood. (coughs) We're assigned to be a priestly people. And we dealt with this last week. We looked at the meaning of the term. We asked ourselves what it means. And we said because of our election in Christ. We are in him designated a royal priesthood. In Jesus Christ we're not only chosen and called. But we're made kings and priests unto God. Every believer is a priest unto God. Every believer young and old has access to God. Every believer of course engages in The activity before God of offering up spiritual sacrifices, starting with ourselves, offering the sacrifice of praise, offering the sacrifice of charitable deeds, offering the sacrifice of communication, offering the sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart. And we we asked, why was it mentioned? Why, Why did Peter introduce it? We said he was writing to encourage and comfort God's people. Why? Because we're prone to forget who we are. We're prone to forget who we're related to. And when we're fulfilling tasks that he calls us, when we're facing trials, when we're focusing on our temptations, let's remember we're a priestly people. We're not only appointed to be part of an elect people, but we're part of a priestly people. I want you to notice something else. We are an adorned people. Notice the words. An holy nation. Now now again let's ask ourselves. What does this mean? 
Uh, Peter, I believe, is thinking of another Old Testament verse. And he's applying it here to the church. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. An holy nation. This is what God was saying to the children of Israel. This is what you are in my eyes. You're not only a peculiar treasure in my eyes. You're not only a kingdom of priests in my eyes, but you're a holy nation in my eyes. This is how I view you. This is how I see you. And Peter is saying, reminding these people who are persecuted and suffering, and perhaps on the verge of going back and quitting in the Christian life, he's saying to them, remember, you are or belong to an holy nation. Now I have said, using the title, an adorned people. In Exodus chapter 28 and 2, there's a reference to holy garments for Aaron, for glory and for beauty. And the adjective holy is used to describe the garments. Holy garments. What for? And the verse 2 in Exodus 28 tells us, for glory and for beauty. Doesn't the Bible talk about the beauty of holiness? First Chronicles 16, 29. Psalm 29 and 2. Psalm 96 and 9. And when the Bible talks about the beauty of holiness, it's a reference to to adornment. It's a reference to how God should be seen. It's a reference to how God sees us. He, he's seen Aaron dressed in holy attire. And he's saying, when I see Aaron stand before me, when I look upon him, I see the object of glory and beauty. And now he's saying, when he uses this reference, but ye are a holy nation. He's saying, you're a beautiful people in my eyes. You're a people adorned with holiness. That's the thought. Now, now what does that mean? How, how does that apply out? He's saying, I, I see you as sinless in Christ. Let's remember that God hates sin. And of course, we only have to come to the cross to see how he punished sin in Christ. <coughs> And God is so holy 
that he can't bear or stand iniquity. Uh, sin is an ugly thing in his sight. Didn't Habakkuk the prophet say in 1 verse 13, Thou art of pure eyes, and behold iniquity. And that's a tremendous truth. Sin is ugly to God. Sin is displeasing to God. God, God can't behold iniquity. And in order to stand in his sight, in order to be in his presence, in order to have the assurance that you're uh, part and parcel of the people of God, in order to, to know that you're going to spend all eternity with God, then the reality is for any one of us, we need to be sinless. Did you ever think to yourself, if only I could be sinless in the sight of God? Well, well that's what we'd have to be for God to accept us. For God to look upon us. Because God's of pure eyes and behold iniquity. But here's the glorious message of the gospel, folks. And I want you to take this into your mind this morning. You see, in Jesus Christ, the moment we are savingly joined to Christ, we are viewed by God as sinless in and through his Son. You see, as far as our standing is concerned, we are clothed in the garments of Christ's perfect righteousness. We are dressed in the robe of his sinless life. That's why his sinless life is so important. We are adorned, in another sense, in the garment of his holiness. Adorned completely. So that God doesn't see our sin. He sees the sinlessness of Christ. We are adorned continually. And we are adorned forever. Now, now that's as far as our standing is concerned. We never could be more holy. We, we never can be more righteous. We have a legal standing. Remember, we have been legally declared righteous by God. And in the act of justification, the sinless life of Jesus Christ, the righteous life of Christ, that's been put to our account. And that's how we stand before God. That's how God can designate us a holy nation. That's how he can say, you're beautiful in my eyes because I see you through my son as absolutely sinless. See, see, the devil comes along every day, I don't know about you, but he does to me and tells me how ugly I am. Because I, I know that, I don't have to look in the mirror. He tells me that, that I'm useless. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And I'm sinful. And I take into my mind, you know, the devil's right. But in the eyes of God, I'm beautiful to him. Because he sees me in Christ, clothed and adorned in the sinless robe of Christ's spotless righteousness. Not only am I sinless, in Christ but I am sanctified in Christ you see the word holy means to set apart it means being devoted for some sacred purpose or use let me just illustrate think of the Lord's day Exodus 20 remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy see one day in the week is God's holy day God has set one day apart from the other six days. Six days to work, one day for worship. He instituted this 
holy day at creation. God set aside a day that was sacred and special to him. He sanctified the day, set it apart. He separated it. Isn't it true about the vessels of the tabernacle? They were special vessels to be used in the worship of God. And they were designated holy vessels. And every believer in Christ has not only sinless in Christ, but has been separated and sanctified from the rest of mankind, set apart. Jesus Christ, remember, suffered without the gate, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, outside apostate religion, outside apostate Judaism, outside an apostate religious world in its ways. He separated himself. He set himself apart, devoted himself to the work that the Father given him to do. And we're told in Hebrews 13 that we're to go forth without the camp unto him. You see, we're meant to be a separated people. We're meant to be a sanctified people. We're meant to live apart from the world and its ways. God has clothed us in the garments of his holiness. And the more we're separated from this world and its ways, and the more we're devoted unto him, and the more we're willing to be different, then really the reality is the more sacred we become. There should be no holding back. Remember the hymn writer, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Out of love and gratitude for what God has done for us, then, then we give ourselves wholly to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. We're not only separated but we were sanctified. You see, the Christian not only has a perfect legal standing, but the Christian has now entered into a new state before God. <laughs> and he acknowledges that he's not perfect and never will be perfect this side of eternity. But we hang up the sign under new management, or we hang up the sign, as you'll see in some building sites, work in progress. See, let's think of this word nation for a little moment. What is a nation? It's a band of people bound and governed and covered by a common law. And we are a holy nation. That is, we're a holy band of people bound and governed and covered by the law of God. We're a people that's ruled by God. We, we, we serve the Lord Christ and we willingly subject ourselves to his law. It's not burdensome. It's not cumbersome. We're not going to fight it. We're not going to be opposed to it. We think of Christ. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And we want to be like the Lord. And we want to live in perfect obedience to his law. He hated iniquity. He loved righteousness. The true Christian who's part of this holy nation will make every effort to live up to the same. There'll be the pursuit of holiness. It'll be something progressive, something that's going on in his life. That's why it says, be ye holy as he is holy. 
Be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. See, we're an adorned people. What are we adorned with? The beauty of holiness. Notice something else. Very quickly here, we're an acquired people. It says, but ye are a peculiar people. The word peculiar, if you look at the margin, means a purchased people. You see, we're, we're bought. We're, we've been redeemed by an infinite price. The precious blood of Christ. It says in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Here's a people so precious to God that God views us now as his peculiar treasure. And God says, they're so precious to me, I paid this much to get them. This is what it costs me. You know, so often don't we feel within ourselves the best of our praying, the best of our preaching, the best of our living. Oftentimes we feel good for nothing. We just say to ourselves, well, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. You might even feel, well, I'm incapable of being a blessing. You might be conscious of your sin and feel a failure, bemoan your coldness and carelessness. You think of the life that you live and you say, well, it has to be ugly in the sight of God. We were so prone to forget, dwell in the past. And God says this morning, fill your mind with this. You're my peculiar people. You're a special treasure to me. And yes, the truth is, the closer we get to God, the more we're going to feel our sin, the more we're going to feel our failure, the more we're going to know our shortcomings, and, and, and the more we're going to bemoan that. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And what do we mourn over most? We mourn our sin. And God will come to us and say, look, you're precious to me. I, I never lose you. I never fail you. I never fall out of love with you. You are very precious to me. Yes, despite your sin, despite your coldness of heart. See, that's not how the world views us. That's not how the world sees us. But we are an acquired people. We have been bought with a price. We belong to the Lord. Very quickly, we're an acquainted people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. See, we praise God this morning. We praise God in our worship. We've sought to lift up our voice in song to bless the Lord. We're showing forth his praise. We're a thankful people for all the Lord has done for me. I will never cease to praise him. We praise God for his works, his creation, his providence, his, 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 his redemption. We praise God in our words. When we, when we lift up our voice, as the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, we're not ashamed of Christ. We'll speak for him. What are we doing? We're showing forth his praises. Notice, it's the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you getting the picture this morning? This is how God views us. We have been 
appointed. We belong to an especial race of people. We have been assigned a priestly activity. We have been adorned with Christ's holiness. We strive to be set apart and sanctified unto him. He has acquired us to be his own. We're his special treasure. We're an acquainted people. We, 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 we show forth his praise. We, we, we say to the world, this is what he's like. This is who he is. This is what he's done for us. Aye, and finally, we're an acknowledged people. He says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Why? Because he's called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. See, there's no shortage of light here. Notice the adjective, marvellous. It's excellent light. It passes human knowledge. It's brilliant light. Called us out of darkness. We're to rejoice in that light. We, we were to reflect that night. Doesn't the Bible talk about walking as children of light? Let me just read to you a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 5. And he says in verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, that's our past, but now are ye light in the Lord. Here's the outcome of that. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Do you know when the light comes? Let me tell you what it does. It shows up the dirt. You, you ladies, it's coming up to spring cleaning time. and Summertime, the light of the sun streaming through the window. And you walk into your dining room and you say, Gosh, I polished that table yesterday. Look at the dust that's there. Or on the mantelpiece and you run your hand over it. Or maybe you said to one of your children to do it. Doesn't the light expose the dirt? Doesn't the light, of course, um, illuminate danger in the pathway? You think of a dark night. I think of an illustration that I heard of recently where in England in the 18th century when they were riding on horseback through the country, this man was riding at night. No lights, of course, um, either in the uh, sky or, 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 or on the street or the path. And uh, there was a storm developed, uh, and just at the moment, in a flash of lightning, it, it showed how close the horse was to the cliff edge. And of course, he thanked God for that bolt of lightning, and he moved away from the cliff edge and was spared from danger. And isn't there danger in the journey of life? We, we think of perils and pitfalls. Walking in the light, danger ahead. And of course, think of the delight of the light. But what a lovely thing it is to get up these mornings, whether at half five or six o'clock, and, and look out on the light of the new day. And boys, you can see quite a distance, can't you? And you delight in the new day. And then there's the distance. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. We are an acknowledged people. We are his people. Why? Because he has called us. Called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. And we walk in that light. How privileged are we? 
Let's think this morning, not of what we were, but what we are. How God sees us. And if you take that into your mind, the next day you face trials, you're doing a task, or you're facing temptation, and think of how does God see me, then surely you'll get help and encouragement, and you'll have hope for your soul, no matter what you face. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to your heart this morning.